been talking a lot about about that. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. And I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us. With your love And for all these blessings We lift our hearts in praise Without a doubt we'll know That we have been revived When we shall leave this place Father, thank you for this day and for your precious word. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you, Lord, for the authority that you've given us against all the works of the enemy. Thank you for loving us and growing us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help this word to be a blessing to those who hear it today and any day, anywhere by any media. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <coughs> you know, there's... Uh, we're talking about ruling and reigning in life. Now we're expected to reign in this life above the circumstances, over the circumstances, not under. Take our authority in the name of Jesus. We're no longer natural men, carnal men. We can choose to live a carnal life, but we're not carnal. We are supernatural beings now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us if we belong to him and gives life to these mortal bodies. We need to see that and believe that and speak that into our atmosphere, into our sphere of influence, into our bodies, into our homes and surroundings. We need to see it and believe it. We have been given the name above all names, the word says. What does that mean? That we have the authority to say in the name of Jesus. That's because we belong to Him and His blood is coursing through our veins. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 talk about the fact that we have been given the name above all names and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is is Lord. Anything that has a name will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. I mean anything. I'm not talking about anybody, just anybody. I'm talking about anything. If you're talking on the phone or you're talking to your friend about something, a negative thing, then you're calling it something. Whatever you called it when you told your friend about it, you call it and you speak to it in the name of Jesus and you command it to go. And then you believe it and you stand on it and you see that as being done and accomplished in the spiritual realm and then you will see it done in the natural realm. Yes. I am totally convinced of whom I have believed. Yes. His name is Jesus Christ and he's right here in this room today. And he is bearing witness to everything that I'm saying. The problem is with believers 
thinking that it's all up to God and it makes them passive. And passivity is not faith. We need proactive faith. We need active faith. We need to meditate everything... I could go over for a six month or a year period a track record of every truth and every promise that has been conveyed from this little store-lot pulpit and if they were all applied to our minds and hearts and we believed them and stood them and made them our own and they became more real to us than the things that we can see, no weapon formed against us would ever prosper. And I'm telling you that for a fact. I'm not saying the enemy's going to stop. He's going to throw a wall-eyed fit because he knows he's fixing to get the heck out of Dodge. Yes. But death has lost its sting for the Christian, you see. Unless they have more faith in what the devil can do than what Jesus has done. I love everybody. I don't want anybody. Every, the enemy comes against everyone. We all have struggles and trials and tribulations. And I love and I have sympathy and I have compassion. And I pray with people and I will cry with you and I will love on you. But if you will take your authority and use it, you will have a lot better success. You have to be proactive. You can't build... You cannot... When a man breaks into your home and he's there to harm you and your wife or children, you can't tell him, hold on a minute. I'm going to go down to the gym and I'm going to start working out. I'm going to go do some weapons training. I'm going to go buy a shotgun and I'll be right back. These, all, these things already have to be dealt with. You already have to know what you're going to do. How it's going to work. And that it does work. And then that you're quite capable of making it work. It's the same thing with spiritual things. You can't get strong faith... Some people might be able to. Just that childlike faith. I do know people like that, so I need to correct that. They, they can just say, okay, if God said it, then that settles it. And that's it. And they believe it, and they're stronger than Christians that have been sitting on the front row for 20 years. So it can be done. But for the most part, you have to take this word. You have to meditate on it. These promises of God, you have to see it as the, ver the veracity that it, that, that, that it contains, the truth, the realness, the power. And you have to know that you know that you know that it's true. And if you say it, if you speak it, if you believe it, if you pray it, and it's according to the will of God, which is the word of God, then you will have what you have spoken and believed if you don't stop believing. Amen. That's what Mark 11.24 says. Believe that you have what you ask for when you pray and you shall have it. A lot of people say in the name of Jesus and then they go on about acting like everything's in the name of Satan. <laughs> I'm just saying, it, the things that we say can become just a mantra. Just something you say because you're religious. Religion don't save nobody. A relationship with the living God does, though. Some of these things, it's like, we always just talk about how how I'm healed and I'm blessed and I'm prosperous and is that all that this is? And, and you know, I don't know. I, 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 just don't, I don't quite get it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, what's this all for? What's it, trying to make you understand what it's for. Trying to help you to see that it's real and that it's true and you need to learn about your new identity in Christ, who you are and what you have 
And it's not just for you. I'm not preaching to your flesh so that you can say, oh, wow, I'm going to be prosperous. I'm going to use all these prosperity scriptures and I'm going to finally get that new Corvette, that new. (laughs) Mansion on the hill. You might get those things. If you really get a hold of the truth about the law of sowing and reaping and you go out and you start giving away cars and houses and things like that, then God's going to, you're not going to outgive Him. So, just like some of these ministers that they harp on so bad because they got an airplane, well, heck, some of them have given away a hundred airplanes. One of them just used his airplane to go and rescue thousands and thousands of people from Afghanistan. The end times are upon us. And I'm not saying that to scare you, but to prepare you for the same reason that Jesus taught about it. And He needs your help, you see. That's what we're doing here, is we're raising up the body of Christ, which is really the army of God. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ until He returns. And believe it or not, God needs your help. Have you ever told God, thank you, or I love you, and heard Him say it back to you? Thank you. Thank you. He, he will. He'll do that sometimes. And you'll be like, whoa. Thank me. What is that? He's thankful. He's happy. He's, he's glad when you serve, when you have a revelation of who you are and what you're supposed to be doing here. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. The end times. The things that we're going through now. The overwhelming pressure. I mean, half of our church isn't here today for one reason or another. But the good thing is we have a bunch of listeners. And they're all going to hear this message. Praise God. This is a unique group of folks. You love the Lord. You're, You're the... For whatever reason, if you think you're just coming here because a friend invited you or you felt like you needed to start going to church, that's not it. <laughs> There's a lot nicer churches and they have a lot better programs and child care and coffee and things like that. God drew you here. And it's uh, a little overwhelming to me sometimes that I get to speak to folks like yourselves, because I really think much higher of all of you than I do of myself. But I also know that I'm just a vessel, and when I listen to my own messages, I know it's God talking. So He's doing something with us. He's preparing you for the work of the ministry. Your testimony, your mess, turned into a message. Not saying you're all going to be up here preaching, but the message he needs is the one that you're giving to the guy on the street. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen scriptures that I always talk about says that all scripture is God breathed. We need to believe that. We need to know that. This is where I start when I'm when I'm dealing with anybody because. If we have to go to the Word to reason together, and if they're not in agreement with this Word, or they're one of these new universalism uh, churches that's taken half of it and thrown it out the window because it doesn't fit their lifestyle, well, then I don't have any way to work with you. You have to come to terms with this. Is a, uh, this book is inspired by God. It's, it's been written down by over 40 writers over 1,600, 1,800 years. These 50 books and... It's amazing. It's the all-time bestseller. Second <laughs> Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God. King James says, "I think given by inspiration of God." The NIV says, "God breathed," which is really a better, accurate translation. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness. See, this is where your correction comes from. God doesn't put sickness on you. 
God doesn't put divorce or poverty on you. He doesn't need the devil's help to get his work done with his children. Would you do that with your child? Well, he won't either. He loves you way better than you ever loved yourself. He's a good God. And verse 17 says, So that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This word is all you need to make you complete and every good work. And if you will make it your own, latch on to the promises of God in this book and call them your own, it will change your life starting today. Psalm 19, I wrote down and then typed out most of the scriptures for today because I got a lot of them to run through because really that's what's going to change your life, this word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, says, that's the, that's, the, that's the longest chapter in this Bible, by the way, Psalm 119. And if you turn back to Psalm 117, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 118 is the center of the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. You ever need... Say, Lord, I'm trying to figure out where to go, what to do, what steps to take. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 12, verse 46 through 48, Jesus speaking, he said, I have come into the world as light. He is the word made flesh. This Bible is Jesus without eyeballs. Amen. He said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to the world to, I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is when he was in here, when he was here as, as a man, as God-man, the first time, okay? 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Oh, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The word is our light. The word is our guide. The word is ultimately our judge in the end. Lots of generations prior to ours, for the last 2,000 years, as a matter of fact, since Jesus came and died for us and was resurrected and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, every generation since then has talked about the end times. Some have claimed that it was they were living in that end time, in that era. The difference with us now is that Israel has been restored as a nation in her own land. And I'm not going to go into that much right now, but that has a great significance in the Bible. So that set the stage for the fulfillment of all the end time prophecy, you see? And so, and it's unfolding rapidly. Mm -hmm. We've been learning about reigning in life. We've been learning that God expects us to Reign in life. He wants us successful. He wants us blessed. He wants us healthy. He wants us prosperous. He wants us blessed to be a blessing. You can't do that if you're doing everything you can just to keep up with your own life staying on. Understood? There's a lot of pressures that we're facing. More so in this time probably... Than any other time. I, I don't know if I can accurately say that. But I know things are moving faster. I think of the history and all the wars and the different, the terrible things that people have suffered and things like that. So I know people have gone through a lot worse things than you and I experience. We have a good life here. But you have to admit that this world is crazy on steroids. And it's only getting worse. And there's a lot of, 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 of pressures that are applied to us. And I want to talk to you about that and what it looks like and why and what's happening 
as it regards us, the church, the end times, and Jesus, okay? Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. The prophet got a word from God. And starting in verse 18... I mean, in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, starting in the first verse, it said, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. So God tells him, get up, go over to this potter's house, and then I'm going to tell you the rest. So there's a lot to be learned right there. God tells you something, He a lot of times not going to tell you the next thing until you do the first thing. A lot of times when people say, I can't hear God, I haven't heard Him in a while, I say, what's the last thing you know He told you? Have you done it? Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there He was working at His wheel. And the vessel He was making of clay was spoiled at the potter's hands. Have you ever seen a, somebody making pottery? And how they'll... The thumb will go, ooh, and the thing will be like this. <laughs> and they'll just make a ball out of it and start over. Have you ever tried to do that? We had pottery class, and, you know, uh, I don't know, it was an elective course. I, I, I took art because I thought it, I wouldn't have to do anything. And then I ended up having to do a bunch of stuff. But yeah, it's not easy, man. It's, it, they make it look easy, but you ever put, put your hands on there, mine it would always wonky like that, and I'd have to start over. Anyway, so that's what happened to this guy. The one he was working on, it got spoiled, and, and uh, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. God wanted to give him a visual, and now he's going to explain to him a spiritual truth. This is what Jesus always did. He spoke in parables. He used natural things to explain spiritual truths. And this is what God was doing with Jeremiah the the reluctant prophet. <laughs> he said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Today, Israel and the church are being shaped by God as the pot in the hand of the potter. God is the potter, we are the clay. Amen? We are going to undergo a lot of negative pressures in this life. We need to understand that. We need to understand that just because we come to God, bad things still happen to good people. This world is corrupt, and it's run by a corrupt fallen angel for a time. But you have protection, and you have entered into the salvation of your Lord Jesus Christ. And there's power and authority and protection and provision within that protective covering. Amen. Amen. But you're still going to undergo some negative forces. And, and uh, it's important to know that God is not... God is not the author of the negative things. But God will take those negative things and turn them for the good, won't He? Remember when Joseph... The brothers were jealous of him, and they they were going to kill him. But instead, they just threw him down into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. <laughs> and then, after he became a second in charge of Egypt, he saw his brothers again, didn't he? And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he told them, You meant evil against me, but God used it for good. Yes. Remember that? And in Romans 8.28, it tells us that all things work for good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to His purpose. Yes. You are called according to His purpose. Yes. yes. Amen. And if you know Him, you can't help but love Him. So there's a lot of negative pressures. The first kind of negative pressures... And the kinds that a lot of people have been experiencing in our culture lately are satanic forces. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
So there's a couple of kinds, and I'm going to just go over them quickly. There's satanic forces, and then there's godlessness that's happening and getting worse in these days because of the degeneration of the human character. Amen. People ain't getting better, they're getting worse. And Paul talks to Timothy about both of these. One in one of his letters and one in the second letter. So the satanic forces he mentions to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. And he tells him, Now the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in later times, in these latter days, that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, little s, that's the demonic ones, and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. There's a lot of bad teaching out there, folks. There's a lot of crazy stuff. And I mean, you just listen and then you're like, are you, I mean, where's the candid camera, folks? Are you serious? And they are. And that even, it's like, you wish they would laugh and say, no, <laughs> of course not. Because that's what normal people, what used to be normal people would do, but now they're for real. They're deceived, and now they're deceiving others. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul talks about the other kind. The depravity of human beings, of men, the minds of men. He says, but understand, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Hello. For people will be lovers of self. And he's telling you why. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud. You You know what the original sin was? Pride. It wasn't even in this world. It was in heaven. It was committed by Lucifer, who was a beautiful cherub. He was head of the praise and worship department in heaven. He was right there in the presence of God. He was beautiful. He was wise. He was a powerful angel. And pride caused him to seek out independence from and equality with God. Pride. Wait, sorry. Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus makes a comparison for us. Comparing the the last days of the church age in which we live now with the days of Noah and Lot. Remember that? And if you'll look, I just want to remind you of it. Read it. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. In the 26th verse, he says, Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, here's the other example. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Nothing wrong with any of that in and of itself. You see what I'm saying? The part that was wrong with all of those people was pride. They were going about it all completely independent of God, or they thought they were. We can't do anything independent of God. We wouldn't even be able to stand on this planet or breathe or walk across the floor without God. But in their minds and in their hearts, God wasn't even a consideration. 
So let's look a little closer at what the times of Noah and Lot were really like and how they compare with what Paul expressed to Timothy. In Noah's time, there was satanic intervention as well, wasn't there? There was corruption in people's thought life. There was sexual immorality. And there was uh, violence in all the earth. In Genesis chapter 6, the Lord talks about this. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at this satanic intervention. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters were attractive... And they took as their wives any they chose. This is a time when, when demonic angels, fallen angels, <coughs> took human women and had their way. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years old. He put a limit on the life. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden before corruption entered in, they, they could have lived forever. But once they, once they sinned and corruption entered into that fallen seed, God said, I'm not going to let sin have its way. And so he's going to put a limit on life. And that's why he guarded the garden to keep them from going back in and eating from the tree of life because then they would have lived forever, you see? Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. This is what he's talking about again. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. You know, David and Goliath, the giants that lived in the land, those were the offspring of these, this corrupted union. Okay? You can look that up more if you want to. Genesis chapter 6, the fifth verse. Talking about the corruption in men's minds. The law saw, the Lord saw, <laughs> the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the motives behind every, everything these guys were thinking about was all corrupt. It was all about themselves doing harm to others or just justifying their own gains. It was nothing to do with the love for anyone else other than themselves. And it was all evil in God's eyes. Look at the sexual immorality part. Genesis 6 verse 12. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Look at 6.13. Earth was filled with violence, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now let's look at Lot's time. He was the nephew of Abraham, and he acted in pride. Just by uh, when Abraham humbled himself to his lesser, uh, the younger one, Abraham was the one anointed and chosen by God, but still he humbled himself before his nephew and said, hey, just no, no arguing here because we're so wealthy, there's not room for everybody. So just pick which way you want to go, I'll go the other way. Okay, make long story short. But anyway, Lot was still considered by God to be a righteous man. And he had gone off to, to Sodom, right? And he had lived out there and he had made his home and he became known and, and knew these, these, these evil people. Um, but in his time, they were prideful, they were brazen, they were violent, they were aggressive. Homosexuality was rampant. And in Genesis 19, verses 4 through 11, it talks about it. But before they lay down, this is when... Remember, God went to Abraham and uh, Jesus, pre-incarnate or whatever, an angel of God, went to Abraham, a couple of angels, 
And they told, God told him, he said, there, I'm going to just go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because I've heard of all the evil that's going on there. And, and Abraham cried out for them and he started bargaining with God. If you find just, if you find a hundred righteous men there, you won't destroy it. No, I won't do it for that. Anyway, bargains with him, goes all the way down and gets down to ten, I think, right? He says, nope, if I find ten righteous men there, I won't destroy it. But he knew there wasn't, right? He knew there was only Lot. So anyway, the two angels go on into Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and here's, here's where it takes up. But before they lay down, because and Lot invited them into his home, and so they were staying there with him, right? And he said, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. So they come to the house with these two men. Uh, they look like men, but they're really angels, okay? And uh, if they knew who they were fooling with, they might not have done it. Amen. <laughs> uh, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you t- uh, tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And they're talking about in the biblical sense, know them. All right? They didn't just want to shake their hands. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door behind him. So he goes out and he says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Anyway, times were way different back then. But anyway, the, the big thing he was standing on was the law and the more morality of protecting those that you had brought into your home as visitors, you see. So just think about that, not the other part. So he says, Only do nothing to these men, for they come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back! And they said, Then they, st- then they turn on Lot, you see. This is what happens. You, you think you have friends, and uh, here's what happens. This fellow came to sojourn, so this guy's a stranger, he came to us, and he has become the judge. So he so, said, so you're going you're to judge us for how we live? You know, now we will deal worse with you than with them. So now they're going to tear him up and do some, some bad stuff to him. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew, and drew near to break the door down. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And then, verse 11, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they all wore themselves out, groping for the door. So now, let let me give you a, a little encouragement here. God is good. God is faithful to those who love Him. Amen? And God... There's some bad things that are coming to this world. Bad things. And it doesn't end well for this world, in case you don't know the end of the book. But God is faithful. And He loves those who love Him. And God's servants are always forewarned. I want you to remember that. God's been trying to teach us Basic principles and elemental truths and spiritual laws that are in place for our benefit, not for our harm. And those of us who meditate on them and make them our own and apply them to our lives, we will benefit from them. Those who do not, sometimes they will suffer loss. Like I told you before, if God has given you a shield of faith and you leave it to lay down on the ground, you didn't pick it up, you can't blame God. If he's given you a sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon that you have is the Word of God, and you don't wield it, how can you blame the commander? In the old days, the person who wouldn't wield his sword and wouldn't pick up the shield would have been shot for cowardice. And I love you. And so does God. And I'm not talking to you guys. You guys, I know. It's somebody else that's going to hear this message somewhere in the future. Because you're all strong as horseradish. You're the fanatics. Or you wouldn't be sitting here in this little VFW hall for way longer than most church services go. And with a lot less privileges and no uh, valet parking. (laughs) 
We do have some nice canisters over there. <laughs> In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God, you see how God always warns His servants. He'll give you warning. He'll always give you fair warning. Now what you do with it is your business. Just like when he told Jeremiah, hey, get up and go down to the potter's house, and then I'm going to tell you some more stuff. If he didn't go down to the potter's house, he wouldn't have heard the rest of the story. Mm. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. You know, he was several hundred years old when he started building that ark. In his front yard on dry ground. Did you also know it had never rained? Prior to that, all the, 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 the water came from up out of the ground before then. It had never rained. This man's hundreds of years old. And it took him a couple hundred years to build the darn thing. You know that. It's true. You know... All the abuse he took for that. How they laughed at him. And criticized him. But he listened to God. He was forewarned and he did what God said. But Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By this, what? By doing what God said, he became the only righteous person alive. His faith condemned the rest of the whole world. He did what God said and they laughed at him for it. And then they all wanted on the boat in the end. And don't watch the movies about it. They got it all screwed up. <laughs> and you remember how the other thing is that not God will not only just forewarn you, but He'll send angels to help you. You've got angels that are assigned to you to help you in everything in this life. If you'll just help them to help you. Speak faith. Speak what God says. Speak the promises of God into your situations instead of what you see. You say what you see, you'll have what you say. You say what God says into that negative situation. Speak life into it. Speak blessing into it. Speak power into it. Speak provision into it. Speak health into it. You'll have that too. If you believe it. I know it. I know it to be true. Listen, folks, I'm not all the way there yet, but I, I've left the dock. God don't care where you've been. He cares where you're going. What direction are you heading in? He sent angels to help Lot. He'll do the same for you. Now let's fast forward to the present day, which is what you're really interested in. I already know what happened to those guys. What's this got to do with me? Matthew 24, verses 7 through 12. Jesus speaking. I just kind of want to qualify that. The whole book comes from God. You know that, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the author of this book. But, but, but when I say Jesus said it, some, sometimes like E.F. Hutton, you know, the people listen to that. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 7 through 12, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So, we have international wars now, don't we? We have famines now, don't we? There are earthquakes. There are pestilences. Matthew 24, 7 just said, 
above, talking about all these things that are that were going to take place. And then it agrees with it. You want another witness that says the same thing in Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 11. And then Jesus uses an illustration for us. So something natural that we can understand to give us an illustration of these spiritual truths again. He uses um, birth, natural childbirth, as an illustration of the forewarnings that God will give us about these end times things. When a woman, God in His wisdom, and I, I don't claim to know what y'all go through because y'all are tougher than us. Don't get me wrong. But, but isn't it great that you don't just walk in across the floor and then boom, there's the baby. You know, you wouldn't be prepared. It gives you a chance to, to be prepared. The things that take place first. The breaking of the water, the, the contractions, the dilation. See, this is all preparation. So they know, okay, it's coming. They get, get, they get the woman ready and they help you and, and get the people there that love you. You know what I mean? The doctors, all that. So it, it's to prepare you, not to scare you. When it happens, you just go into this mode. You know, you got it all planned out. You know what you're going to do. And then in Matthew 24, 8, he's talking about that. And then he talks about the worldwide persecution of Christians. And listen, folks, I don't know about you, but I, I don't even get the news anymore in my house because I don't have regular television. But I get apps like CBN and stuff like that. I get enough of the news to know. And I have, I have friends that have worldwide ministries and they tell me about the persecution of Christians all over the world. And we just pulled out of Afghanistan and if you think those Christians uh, that they're building them new churches over there, you're, you're, you've lost your mind. They're getting, uh, many of them are just killed on the spot. I have a friend who you will meet here. He's a good friend of mine. He has a worldwide ministry and, and uh, he has... He has preachers over there baptizing people in the name of swimming lessons right in front of Boca Raton or Boca Haram uh, soldiers on the beach who would shoot them if they knew what they were doing. Handed over to secular authorities. That's the same thing. So they set up Sharia law. And then they go and drag these people, uh, Christians, out of their homes. They take them to these, these righteous judges in Sharia law land. And the penalties are, are, not, uh, are not just. Why is it only Christians? Have you ever thought about that? They're not persecuting. Hey, this person's a Hindu. They need to be killed. This person's a, a Muslim. They need to be killed. No, it's only Christians. Why? We're the ones that love everybody in spite of their sin. It's demonic. It's the devil. And you need to get your spiritual eyes and ears working so that you can understand and see what's going on in this world. And it's all about enemy trying to set up everything for the ushering in of the Antichrist to bring on these end times. Lawlessness leading to lovelessness. We've talked about that. Waxing cold. Our hearts waxing cold over time. The more we pull away from God and God's people and the Word of God, and we're not meditating on the promises and the provision, the Word of God, and, and fellowshipping with His His family, our family, the Church of God, whether you, you can say what you want to, but your heart is waxing cold little by little by little, and the longer you stay away from it, the the more your heart waxes cold. I don't care how hard you intend. I intend to keep a thriving, radiant, beautiful relationship with Jesus. And you stay away from His people. And you stay away from His Word. No way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what's our response to all this? To get, just say, hey... It's worse than I thought. I'm just going to go climb in a hole and die. I had a boy tell me, a man tell me yesterday, younger than me, I call him a boy, but he's a grown man. Ah, oh, preach, I wish you, God just go ahead and take me out of here. I just want to slap him. Except he's a few states away. 
I've just been on the phone with, with elderly folks with broken elbows and other real problems and, you know, who want to live. And he's mad at, he's just ready to check out because I don't know. He's down to just stems and seeds and don't want to have to go find a job. What? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. No, our response is one of optimism, folks. And commitment to God. Psalm Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Isn't that lovely? I see this beautiful child going, what the heck does it mean though? (laughs) I don't blame you. It's kind of like that to me. Because I I know what it means. It's free will offerings. And so we're going to offer ourselves freely, not by compulsion to God. But I looked it up in the Message Bible just for our benefit here today. Because I like the way it just explains things sometimes. Here's what it says in the Message Bible. Psalm 110, verses 1 through 3. Because they don't do things like that. They put them in groups. So what it is, it's really a conversation that the Father is having with Jesus about what he's going to do for him and what he's going to do for us. Amen? So let's, let's, let's look in the Father and Jesus as he encourages him. And uh, it should encourage us. The word of God to my Lord. Sit alongside. This is what the Father is telling Jesus. Sit alongside me here on my throne until I make your enemies a stool for your feet. You were forged a strong scepter by God of Zion. Now rule, though surrounded by enemies. Your people will freely join you, resplendent in holy armor on the great day of your conquest. Join you at the fresh break of day. Join you with all the vigor of youth. Now praise God. That's exciting. I love that translation, don't you? The other thing we need to do is we need to get our minds wrapped around the the big picture. We need to become kingdom-minded folks and understand that all this teaching about your power and your authority and your blessings and all this, it's it's not just about that. It's not had really very little to do with you. And God wants you to see it as having very little to do with you. You're affected by it. Because you're blessed. You're a child of God. You have everything your daddy has. But he wants to use you to be a blessing to this world because that's what he's after. So we need to learn to identify with God's purposes in the whole thing. You see what I'm saying? John, 1 John 2.17 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. Again, I looked it up in the Message Bible for you. 1 John 2.17, the message says in verses 15 through 17, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Man, I love that. So there's two main purposes What's it all for? What's, it, what's God doing? First thing He wants is what Jesus prayed for on that fateful night in John chapter 17, which I've been saying for 14 years. He's going to have His prayer. And He prayed for unity amongst the body of Christ. Unity within the church. And we haven't seen that yet. But we're going to. We're going to John 17, verse 20 through 23. 
Jesus said, I do not ask. He's praying to the Father. I do not ask for these only, talking about the disciples that were there with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, talking about you. He's praying for you now. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, our unity is supposed, the way that our love one for another is supposed to be, make the, provoke the world to jealousy in a good way. They're supposed to want what we have, which is the only thing that they really need, which is God in us, the hope of glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them and you and me, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. We're supposed to be on display for the world. Display, not because we're the most talented or the most beautiful or the most powerful. Those are really not always God's favorite things. He uses the foolish things, the, the, the things that the world despises to confound the wise is what he says. That's why I'm acceptable. In his eyes. Because he can really use me to confound the wise. Religious folks and self-righteous folks really get mad when God uses people that they think aren't qualified. (laughs) And he likes doing it because of that. (laughs) Dan. He really does. You have to believe it though. It took me a while. He had to beat me over the head with grace, as some of you know, before I'd really get it. But I really heard him say he loved me. That I was his child and he was well pleased. Audibly say it to me. It broke my heart in a good way. It made me very happy. And the longer the time passes from it, from the time I heard him say that and the, and the times of some of the other encounters I had with him, I really missed those things. But also it makes me a little embarrassed that he had to go to that length to make me believe it. Like he told Thomas that it was greater if you don't have to see it to believe it. This is, should be all we need. The Holy Spirit will bear witness The other thing that God wants besides restoration of unity within the church is for us to enter into an aggressive gospel outreach. That's not just us, that's the whole body of Christ. What I mean by that is that God doesn't, it's not His will that any should perish. Some will, most will. Jesus said that the broad highway to hell. He said, it's, 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 it's a broad road. He said, but the, the path to life is narrow and only a, a few find it. When it comes to terms of the whole world, even though the church seems large, uh, it, the church isn't really what it looks like. We don't know who all really belongs to the Lord and who doesn't. But even if... All those who call themselves Christians really belong to him. And the overall scheme of things worldwide is still very small. And you know, there are, there are billions of people who never even heard the message of, of Christ. They don't know. Matthew 24, verse 3, and I'm done here. Got Jesus... As he said on the Mount of Olives, Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
in the next verse, I mean, not the next verse, but skip down to the 14th verse, Matthew, no, yeah, Matthew 24, 14, said, and this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He wants to give everybody a chance. See, he would be unjust then if everybody didn't get a chance. Some people say to me, what about people who were just born here? Or what about people that are born there? God's not unjust. God knows what he's doing. No one's going to stand before God and act innocent or play dumb. They're going to know the times when he tried to reach them. And then he tried to reach them again. And he tried to reach them again with his truth. And they rejected it. I can tell you, before I was truly born again, I went around acting like I was a Christian and doing whatever the devil brought to my attention that would be fun or good for me. (laughs) I... If I would have died and gone to hell, I I wouldn't have wondered why. I would have known. People that have those testimonies about having passed on and went to one place or the other, they knew. They They didn't go up there and start asking questions and debating with God about it. They knew why they were where they were. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So it's God's desire. See, see if if it's case hurrah, hurrah, and God's sovereign, and everything that happens has happened, and whatever is supposed to be, that's what happens, then then why would, it says, then everybody would be saved, because that's God's will. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. So everyone would be prosperous and their soul would be prosperous. Their personalities, their mind and will and emotions, everybody would be at peace, love and joy. If it was God's way, God's will, because that's His will. We have a part to play. A lot of it just has to come to terms with the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. My nephew told me the day before yesterday, he met some guy. He meets a lot of guys. He did, he's a hunting outfitter and does other things too. But he, a lot of people come to town out there in the country from these big rich guys go to go hunting, you know. Right now it's dove season. And, and then he's talking about deer hunting and signing all these people up. He met this rich guy. And he, the watch, he couldn't take his eyes off this guy's watch. And a big heavy guy. And he told, and he, he said something, he remarked, some, said something nice to the guy about his watch. And he goes, oh yeah, son, yeah, two, two things you never skimp on in this life. Your watch and your appetite. <laughs> I said, how do you know if those things are true or not? You just said, because when I see Jesus... At the end of it, and then see what you would say. I went, I never skip on my wa- the price of my watch because when I see Jesus face to face, doesn't work, does it? I never skimp on what I eat, even though obviously I overeat. Because when I see Jesus face to face, doesn't work. <laughs> There's some easy litmus tests. <laughs> What's God and what's not, folks? <laughs> he loves you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to eat well. He don't care if you have a nice watch. He just doesn't want it to be the most important thing in your life. He wants to be that, okay? He loves you. So do I. I hope this message helped, helped you somehow and put some perspective or reminded you of some perspective about the things of God and the reasons why we do all this. But it's really about the kingdom of God. There's going to come a day.
when Jesus has come back and got us all, we're going to come back with him. They will have surrounded Jerusalem, the great armies of the world, and God's going to destroy it all, and then he's going to bring down the new Jerusalem from heaven. And you're going to reign there with Jesus and me for a thousand years. And then that old devil is going to be let loose again for a little while. And then the Lord will come and throw him into the sea of sulfur and fire forever. With all those fallen angels and all those who have rejected the Son of God in this life. And then we'll be with him forever. Amen. Meanwhile, he wants you to grow up in your salvation, to rule and to reign with him now, to help him to reach all those who don't have what we have, which is him. We may have some of the same struggles and trials that they have, but the end for us is good. Death has lost its sting. We're going to live forever. We're going to be with Jesus. He wants that for everybody, but needs your help. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you chose us. And we, we don't know why, but we're glad. And Lord, we just want to always stay humble, remembering where we've come from. But... Don't be condemned or feel unworthy because you have made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, your children, and you love us. Thank you, Lord, for writing our names in the Lamb's book of life and that our sins have been blotted out forever. Help us to bring others into the kingdom with your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.